Hiya. Welcome to the Christians in Sport podcast. My guest today is Paris Edwards. Now, get this. I'm going to give you some CV here, but it's not just one sport. It's two, right? Two. Watch. Hockey, Zimbabwe junior international, 16s and 18s, moves to South Africa, plays provincial junior, senior, captain South Africa students. And this is hockey. It's massive in South Africa. She's a foreigner. She captains the student team for the country. Then she goes to under-21s, then gets in the senior squad. Then she moves to Leicester. Now, this is good. Leicester win the English Premier League. Yes, Leicester. Long before the football team, she comes to the UK to play hockey. For six years, she's there. They win the English Premier League three times and get to the European final and runners-up twice. Now, you'd think, good CV. Good CV. You've heard nothing yet. She decides to have a little fling at triathlon in London when she's 30. By her fourth race, she's qualified for Great Britain and goes to the World Championships in Vancouver. Before you know it, she's British, European and world champion. And then, and this is the icing on the cake, at 38 years of age, mind you, she doesn't look it, she turns pro and she's been on the podium in 13 out of the 16 pro races she's been involved in since then and has won five of them. Paris Edwards, let's get going. Christians and Sport podcast with Graham Daniels. Paris, you're in Zimbabwe, you're a little girl and you and your twin sister Dalla go to boarding school at the age of 12. It's the first time you ever hear anything substantial of the Christian message. Tell me about that. It was a key time actually and my mum didn't want us to go to boarding school but we were packed off and in hindsight it was certainly one of the best things in our lives for us and um, my sister has always been a great influence and she took to the message straight away and I think I almost just followed her in a, in a funny sort of way and um, went along to the Bible studies because she was going and um, it was a good influence at a time that I needed it really. I don't think I fully appreciated it at the time looking back on my journey since then but it was definitely a starting point of sorts. Yeah that's what's interesting to me that it's a starting point that as we review your sports career we see your faith in Christ grow and mature and because you've had two major careers we can really have a look at how people change almost through through having a chat with you. I'm looking forward to this part of it. I'm going to fast forward you through childhood to some extent because you end up, of course, by the time you're in the sixth form, playing 16s and 18s for your home country, Zimbabwe. Then you move to South Africa and you go to Rhodes University. I love it when I ask you this question to prepare for the interview. You say, well, it was a wild time. And I don't know if I love it. What's mm. a wild time? Yeah, do you know, I, I was two days drive from home. I was effectively legal age and we were brought up in a really strict household and obviously boarding school was strict too and suddenly I had every freedom there was nothing I wasn't allowed to do you know and I just went with it I, I gave myself every freedom I lived as as students do I you know there was a drinking culture relationships explicit language I mean I just became your stereotypical student in many ways I mean I, I went to lectures and I made sure I passed my exams and I was always training hard in sport which I think kept me a little bit more on track than I might have been had I not been sporty if I wanted to do something I did it without second thoughts it was a really up and down time if I'm honest you did biochemistry and microbiology I know you wanted to be a sports physio we come back to that but uh, were you doing biochemistry just to make you a better athlete <laughs> no, probably to learn how to brew beer or something. <laughs> uh, we did actually make beer and all sorts of things. I'd always wanted to do sports physio, but I went off to the same university Whoa, as my sister. You brew beer. 
<laughs> Do you want to come to Cambridge sometime? <laughs> I don't think it was very tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I um I so I was looking at doing the sciences that would get me um the first year accredited of physio, and uh, the university I was at actually didn't do anatomy and physiology. Um, they didn't do any of the human sciences. So I ended up going into microbiology and biology and biochem. And I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't a career option that I wanted to stay in. Um, so I ended up finishing the degree to get the BSc and then go into physio as a mature student. I missed the first year of physio and it was an easier avenue into physio because it's such a competitive course to get into. While you're doing this, of course, you're, you're playing at the very highest level. Uh, when you're in South Africa for your first degree, you're playing provincial in South Africa. You're playing senior level. You're in the 21s. Uh, and as I said in the introduction, you end up captaining South Africa students and getting into the squad for the senior team. Your training regime must be intense when you're doing a degree at the highest level and playing at that level. How on earth did you manage to fit in your training and your work? It's definitely a juggle. And um, it's just a discipline. Uh, you, you know, I, I knew what training I had to do. I committed to it. I've always been a really hard worker. One of my strengths as a hockey player was my fitness. So I was always the last one running on the fitness tests. And that's because I, I put the training in, in the gym, out on the track and, and on the pitch, lots and lots of skills, drills. And I, I actually loved it. I've always loved that side of sport. I never found it a sacrifice, actually. It was always a joy to me. So, and it, it, But it was a bit of a juggle with studies. But I actually think it teaches you a good discipline um, because I found that I was just as effective at fitting in my study time as the students who weren't doing any sport. And, and you just learn to manage your time really well. So that's always been a real help. And I think that's one of the things that I love about seeing children playing sport is that they learn to manage their time and they learn disciplines that I think stay with them into life. Interesting that you, in this period, when you're so disciplined about your work, uh, your sport, your training, somehow you retain a degree of discipline uh, with your Christianity. You go along to a church pretty regularly, but you're not turning it into day-to-day practice. Is that a fair summary of this key period of your hockey life in South Africa? Mm, absolutely. I almost compartmentalized my life at that stage. You know, there were areas that were so disciplined and, and you know, on a Sunday I'd, I'd go along to this church with really short service, quite reflective. And I just felt like I could walk in and, and look at my life and go, oh, this isn't very good. And I'm sorry, God. And then walk out and feel a little bit better for a few minutes and then completely forget what I just said and done and just get on with the week again. And in some ways I would experiment on both extremes. I was so disciplined in my sport. And for months at a time, I wouldn't drink any alcohol, which as a 20 year old is quite a commitment. And then it would just be party season you know sort of fall down drunk party style but that was after hockey tournaments and selections and you know in the off season and it was the two very big extremes of of either being really disciplined or or literally being really quite crazy and it it wasn't a you know you think all that freedom it must have been so much fun and it actually made me miserable one of the things uh, that we find in these podcasts paris uh, and with working with uh, elite athletes is that what you just said is so normal for the high level player as you well understand that there are times when you are just so full on with discipline because it's season time or competition time but boy when it's over that's when you're you're most vulnerable Mm. isn't it For, for blowing everything Uh, I think that goes with the territory, actually, of elite sport. Also in the territory of elite sport is almost the opposite issue, when it really falls apart. 
Now, I think, as I understand your life and I've got to know you, there is a significant tipping point here. You are flying so high in, in another country by being in South Africa. You're in the national hockey squad and you make a critical decision. It, when you move to Joburg for physio, not to go to the Africa Cup mm. because you don't fail your exams. The consequence is, after the Cup, new coach comes in, you're axed from the squad, you miss your chance of playing as a full international. Desperate time, I think. Dark time, really dark time for me. Tell me what was so dark and what you did with that difficulty. Well, at that stage, I, I really struggled to keep the balance of hockey in my life. I, I just wanted it so badly and it, it was the focus, you, you know, everything, it, it went into everything. And I mean, I was studying physio and I mean, about four mornings a week, I'd be getting up at quarter to five in the morning to train and then getting to the hospitals to do my studies and then training in the evening. And, it, you know, I've made so many sacrifices for it. And I look back now on that decision and if I could change it, I would. I would have just gone to the Africa Cup and I would have faced my supplementary exams and seen how they went. But I decided that I couldn't risk the exams and, uh, and I, it's eaten me up. That decision has eaten me up because I've never got those senior caps you know, and and you work so hard with, with a squad doing all the time and then you watch them walk out for an Olympics or for a Commonwealth Games or just be a senior cap player and you don't get it. And it, it, it can, it can just eat you up inside because if you want it that badly and you put it in that place in your life, it, it controls you. And, um, and I really, that was a hard time for me because it just felt like everything fell apart. It felt like I'd I'd lost my identity because I was a hockey player and I was going to be a national player and, and now I wasn't in the squad. I, I didn't know where to put myself. Your sister has an amazing role in your life story. Not surprising for a twin sister, competitive as kids, pushing each other all the way. And it's at this point that Dalla shows up. Uh, she's not with you. She's in the Eastern Cape. You're in Joburg. You're separated for the first time. And in, in the depths, really, of the despair that you, you describe, it's 20 years on uh, and you describe it with, if, if people could see your face as you describe that, it's the agony that goes with that story. She shows up and she says to you, it's time to go back, P. What happened there? No, it was, it's just brilliant. I was starting my fourth year of physio and I'd just been on this roller coaster ride and um, Dals came to stay with me for about two weeks in Joburg on her way back to Zim after she'd finished her pharmacy internship. And she just, you know, she doesn't even remember saying this, but she just said, it's time, P. And she just went with me to church and just walking in with someone, you know, it just helped. And I, it, that, that, that experience, it, it was, it, it was hard to describe, actually. Something just broke inside me. I just, I just gave it all to God. And um, she helped me get plugged into a Bible study with, um, actually, there were quite a few Christians in my physio class. So I joined a Bible study at my church with Christians from my physio class and just had an overnight transformation, overnight experience of coming back to God and trying to just give my life back to, to living in a way that I just had more peace. Um, and I would I don't know that I would have done, made that step without her saying, let's go. Um, so she was absolutely key in, in helping me do that. One of the things that listeners to this podcast often say to me is that it sounds wonderful to become a follower of Jesus. And yet in all the interviews, there appears to be a degree of cost in it. You've just said about the incredible peace you experienced in this period. And yet it did cost you friendships. Yes, it was, you know, it was a it was a big a big transition because suddenly my life was at odds with how I wanted to live. 
And when you try and when you change your actions so quickly, you know, my language changed overnight. I mean, I, I couldn't say a sentence without swearing. And then suddenly I just didn't swear anymore. It was amazing. It was such a relief, actually. Um, and the drinking culture and my relationships, they had to change. And it looked a bit judgmental to some of my friends, I think. Um, and it, was, it certainly wasn't judgment. I will never come from a place of judgment because I know where I've been. I did get some flack from friends at that time. And I, and I hope since then it's, it's become apparent that that wasn't the transition, the reason for it. But it it was hard because you, you, you're used to living in a certain way and you, you change that, you know, you change that, but your body is often still at odds with that. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a journey. Well, let's continue that journey from South Africa. You're now into your third country and you come to England after graduating as a physio. You come and do sports physio in England. But I suspect, much as you love sports physio, it was an excuse for, for two particular things. One, to come and cremate and run English Premier League hockey with Leicester, who are champions of all. And two, she's always there, isn't she? Your sister's in Oxford, so you think I better take that in on the way. When you come to Leicester, I mean, it must have been, you come for one year. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? You thought you were coming for a year? Once, one season. I came to play one season of Premiership hockey here, and 15 years on, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> when you came, you did come with a bit of disappointment that you've described earlier that you should have got a number of full caps. Are you thinking, right, I'm so going to be one of the best players in that country? Was it in your head? The Premier League here is so strong. It's a small country, so the best teams play each other every weekend. In South Africa, we play the best teams only once a year at a national tournament. So I came literally to get more robust in my play and experience that higher level of play and then go back to South Africa. And when you've been away for a bit, the selectors think, well, she's been away and they look at you properly. And I thought, well, it'll be a fresh take. So I didn't think I'd be dominating in the premiership. In fact, there were about eight British players in my team. So I was a very small fish in a big pond. And um, but it was it was such a good learning curve and it was a, it was it was such a good level to play at. And the plan was to go back to South Africa. And but I actually got injured and I couldn't go back because you could do back to back seasons, a winter in the UK, a winter in South Africa. And a lot of hockey players did. And I couldn't do that. So I missed the next season in South Africa. And then it just and then I missed the next one because it was an Olympic year and they'd already selected the team. And then it just never really happened. I mean, I went back and played provincial and I had an opportunity, but I'd, I'd sort of missed the boat by then. Were the Leicester girls pretty keen to keep you here? I loved being a part of that team. It was a very special time. And um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I certainly wasn't in terms of a key player into on, on the pitch, but I think I was certainly a key part of the team. And I still have good friendships from that team and, and great memories. I wouldn't trade it for anything. In some ways, this is a, a very mature part of your sporting life. I know you're only mid-20s, but you've gone through a lot. You've travelled extensively and you're now playing in England at the top level of your sport. How did you walk the line at this stage with that Christian faith that had emerged in Johannesburg and that you now really had a chance to practice in a brand new culture? Were the stresses and strains of team life bringing the same challenges? You know, I was still quite a young Christian at that stage, but it was lovely to have a fresh start in a team because I came into the team as a Christian and that was so much easier. And it actually kept me accountable. I mean, we'd be we'd be playing a training match, and whoever would lose sort of a six on six had to do um, you know um, rep sprint repeats. And one of the teams would score a goal, and the other team would say, "No, it wasn't a goal." And then they'd all turn to me and go, "Paza, you can't lie. Was it in or wasn't it?" <laughs> Brilliant. You know, I had that accountability. Yeah. But also, it was a struggle because just within the sport, there is a drinking culture. There is a you know, there's the big night outs after tournaments and. 
I did battle with that balance. I, I didn't always get it right, um, and it, and it, and it was hard. You know, you you certainly don't want to be um, pouring cold water on a big night out, but you you also don't want to be living in a way that dishonors your faith. So I wrestled with that the whole way through. Looking back with hindsight, what then did you learn in that period? How do you walk that line? Do you know, exactly the same as in my sport, I, I had to have some discipline. So the best thing for me on nights out was to have a, a drinking rule. You know, you, you don't go down the having shots. Um, I, had, I was allowed two drinks and I could have a party on that and I could have a really good time. I didn't have to have a long face. So I would have drinks, I'd share in the revelry. But I had my limits. And after that, everyone was so busy drinking, they wouldn't notice that I was on soda. And that was brilliant. You know, and you, you didn't have to kick up a fuss because you accepted the first drink. You maybe bought the next round and you didn't get yourself one. And then you had one more and it was perfect because you had a great night out, but you, you had fun and you kept the line. So it's exactly the same as in my sport. You know, it was, you know, I had a target that I would have for fitness tests and I had a target on a night out. I was like, right, that's what I'm allowed. Oh, it's class. It, it really class talking to good athletes i mean it's just the best thing i ever do paris this is quite outrageous uh, and by the way paris says things like well you've interviewed real athletes and now you're interviewing me <laughs> shut up paris and i'll tell you why because you've done this in hockey and then i love it at 30 years of age you think right i'm gonna move to london too many injuries lords of hockey played for years i think i might go with my housemate to triathlon was it really that simple? You just go, I think I'll keep fit now that I'm in London. I'll try a bit of triathlon. It was. I'd watched triathlon and sport and it had always appealed to me. And uh, But I didn't have a bike. I had, couldn't really couldn't swim. The only time I'd ever swum was when I was injured and I had to do it to try and stay fit. So I had a really negative association with swimming, actually, um, which I've taken me a long time to overcome. But she was part of this tri club and it had loads of um, members. It was just a great place to meet people and, and keep fit. And, and that was it. I went in with absolutely no knowledge and just um, a keenness to stay fit. We've heard the Leicester story. Uh, we've heard the, the Joe Berg story. We've heard the Eastern Cape story. So we know now you're developing both as an athlete, as a woman and as a Christian. Uh, and the whole amalgam of this works to develop you as a human being. You say on the afternoon that you first went to do triathlon, you said to God, you had a minute or two in your hand and you said, God, whatever happens with this triathlon, you've got it. You're in charge. What was that about? I was so determined not to be on that roller coaster that I'd had with hockey, where if hockey was going bad, my life was bad. And if hockey was good, life was good. I, I didn't want that. I'm making a fresh start here. I'm going to commit it to God. It's going to have the right place in my life. I hadn't started work in London. I'd only just moved to London. And I remember it. It was a cold January afternoon. I was just reading my Bible in my flat in the afternoon. And I just thought, I'm going to pray about this now. And I'm going to commit this sport to God. I have no idea where it's going. It might, it might just be a bit of fun on the side or or I might get competitive as I always do. I had no idea, but I just wanted it to have the right place. And I've, I've made sure that I've done that all along. And it's just, it's made it so much more of a journey, of an enjoyable journey, should I say. It's given me the freedom to enjoy it, actually. When you're sitting there in your flat that afternoon, I want to know, were you saying to yourself, I'm, this is God's, that's fine. He's in charge of it and I'm handing it over to him. But you know what? When I get there tonight, I am going to be so... Good, I'm going to be unstoppable. Look, you're laughing. She's laughing. She doesn't even Busted. have to say the answer. Busted. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so fiercely competitive, and I mean, and I think actually I said that prayer to protect me more than anything else, because I want things so badly and aim for them so much that they take over, and then they can destroy you a little bit. And I I, I wanted to be able to express all of my ability and all of my competitiveness, but within a good boundary, and that's why I said that prayer. Now this really is stellar. By your fourth race, your fourth race. You've qualified to represent Great Britain in the World Championships in Vancouver. That's, Vancouver. A, that's as an amateur, though. So yeah, yeah, of course, it's yeah. as an amateur. But four races in. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we shocked. No, I was so surprised. I mean, I didn't even know I was eligible to qualify, and someone else pointed it out. And then the, there were a group of people from the Tri Club going to the World Champs and making a holiday of it. And I thought, oh, that sounds fun. So I took my place and and thought, well, let's give it a go. It happened really quickly. You've competed for three countries, right? Yes. Yes, you have. (laughs) In no time whatsoever, you become British, European and world champion at both Olympic and half Ironman distances. Now tell me about your life having to work, train and compete at the top amateur level. Triathlon, it's really demanding in terms of you're juggling three disciplines. So fitting in the training around work was was a real challenge. And without even intending for it to be, it did take over in terms of my time. So fitting in fitting in training around work and family and, and any social commitments. Social tended to be triathlon club. <laughs> I just absolutely loved it. It just sucked me in. And, and each year I would just look at, you know, the next championship, where was the Europeans or where was the world champs, and make a trip of it and, and target that race with a zeal uh, and and it, it, it would get me out of bed at five in the morning for turbo sessions and it would get me into cold lakes and freezing cold pools and who knows what and but I absolutely loved it and and, and it was a nice excuse to travel a bit as well and make new friends and uh, I really enjoyed my time as an age grouper actually but it was a juggle a real juggle the climax of this period was the world championships in London good days fantastic by then I'd I'd picked off all the championships I'd wanted. You know, I'd won the world champs at 70.3 and the European champs and the British champs. And I was tired, though. I was really tired of, of, of all the training and full-time work. And, and I was working for the FA then as well with football. I'd travel with them. And my bike and my turbo trainer would come with the football team everywhere we went. You know, Azerbaijan, Moldova, you name it. Wait my a minute, bike. wait a minute. This is England under 19 girls. Yes, that's right. So what are these girls saying when all your stash is coming to games and are you're they, training like a maniac? They loved it. You know, and, and for medical screening every morning, they, they'd come in and they'd go, what, did, what training did you do this morning? And have you run a marathon? And I'd say, oh, no, you know, I swam 3K or I've run there or I've been on my bike. And they absolutely loved it. And I think it, it was nice to be an influence in that way because they could see I was disciplined with my training. It was a big commitment, you know, working and training, fitting it in. Everything was geared around it. But I was absolutely shattered. And I knew that I didn't want to carry on racing with less training because I wouldn't do as well. And for me to pitch up at a race and finish fifth when I know I could have won it, that doesn't satisfy me. So I thought, right, the World Champs is in London. You've got a home race. All your club are there. Win that Champs if you can. And then end on a high. Bow out on a good note. And then I was just going to carry on with some um, some cycling, really, some criterium racing. And one sport, a bit more um, time on my hands and hopefully have a bit of a life. Maybe as a novelty, have time for a relationship you know just just be a little bit more normal Paris and that was my plan and I said to everyone I'm stopping triathlon after the world champs they were like you're not you're not he said you don't understand I'm tired I'm stopping I even had a dinner bet with a friend she said bet you dinner you're not stopping I said to her I am I'm not gonna race and I was 100% retiring from triathlon after the world champs yeah that's right 2013 wasn't it <laughs> 2013. yeah that's right yeah. Uh, and here she is uh, full-time pro in 2016 
what changed your mind, Paris? Honestly, if you told me even a week before I made the decision that I would go pro, I would have laughed in your face. I, it, hadn't, it had never crossed my mind. I had no intentions whatsoever. And after that World Champs, I had a really great race. In fact, I was the fastest amateur by 45 seconds. So I won all the age groups, including my own. And people kept saying to me, how are you not going pro? How are you not thinking about it? No, no, no. And I thought, well, I'm 37. I mean, who goes pro at the age of 38? And it just didn't occur to me. And then maybe I shouldn't admit the story, but I actually went for lunch with a guy I really fancied and he had come to watch the race. And he said to me, how are you not thinking of going pro? And because he said it to me, it kind of stuck in my head and then I couldn't get it out. So then I just thought, well, hang on, maybe I should knock on this door. And I had a few contacts in terms of sponsorship. I decided I wasn't prepared to do it and and go into debt. So if I could get some sponsorship to to do the year, I would take a year and go pro. Um, and I knocked on doors and they all slammed shut. And and initially I was quite relieved because the decision terrified me. I, re- I really had no idea how I would compete um, at that level. And then a friend just came through, literally, he just called on a bunch of contacts and he secured me the bulk of the sponsorship. And I decided that I needed 20,000 pounds to do the year and I secured 18. And I just thought, what do I do? And I really was really quite nervous about it in fact I was utterly petrified and I just thought I'm going to look back and wonder what could have been for the rest of my life so I um, I quit my football job I went down to part-time work at the clinic I was at and I accepted the sponsorship and just took the jump the jump you didn't take to miss your physio exams Mm -hmm. uh, and go and play hockey in the national team in the Africa Cup it almost seems ridiculous to ask a woman like you a question like this But I will, because it's asked of us by people who say, I'm not a Christian, and they're really good at this sport. I'm worried that if I do become a follower of Jesus, somehow I will lose something of my competitive edge. It's clearly not the case from the Christian athletes I interview. But what do you say if somebody says that to you, Paris? You know, my my answer might surprise you, because it's it's the opposite. I think it's the opposite. Do you know, I almost feel guilty that I'm a Christian and I have my faith on the start line because I have a completely different perspective on the race to my competitors. And sometimes we're on a start line and we're held there in front of the cameras for like 15, 20 minutes and it is terrifying. You've got this race ahead of you. You're looking at the sea. It's usually rough as anything. And you, you, you're impotent. You can't do anything and you're waiting for this race and your nerves are just through the roof. And the, you know, the brain starts permutating all the things that could go wrong in the race and everyone looks so fit. And I mean, I've seen athletes crying on the start line literally under the pressure you know you need to perform for sponsors or you're desperate for the prize money and you're just faced with it for however long you're standing there waiting and you know I just I I I mean I get to turn to God in that knowing that the outcome of my race doesn't change eternity for me and it doesn't change tomorrow or the next day or or going on and for me it's because I don't put my identity in my sport so a bad day a bad race doesn't make for a bad Paris. You know, there are good days and bad days in sport and training. And it is so liberating to not be dictated to by them and to be able to race with utter freedom. My desire is to race to the best of my ability, given the circumstances on the day and to honor God with all my heart. And I can do that in a race and stay in the moment and really enjoy it and give it a full go. There's utter competitiveness to 100%, but it's in such a good boundary. It's, it's freedom. I, I, I would never have imagined it like this, but um, I actually feel like it's the other way around, the answer to your question. So we look back today, right now, as we talk to each other, with a number of wins, five wins. 
Unbelievable, yeah, five. Five wins under your belt. Yeah. Amazing. Podium finishes in pretty much all your races mm. thus far. Fit as a fiddle. Oh, and loving it. Loving, loving every it. minute of it. Beaming all over your face from the mm. moment you walked in today. Let's look back on the lessons you've learned. You are a professional athlete, something you would have dreamt of mm. as a kid. And here you are. What have you learned along the way about your faith, your sport, your ambition, your drive? What do you reflect on as you look back on that today? So many things. Uh, it has been the most unbelievable journey the last two and a half years. I've had my ups and downs. In fact, I'm just coming back from a, re a really bad injury that's kept me out racing for 10 months. But the thing I've learned is that you can trust God with your wildest dreams and your hopes because I just feel God made me this way and I want to honor him in, in my racing. And I look at the difference between hockey and triathlon. And in hockey, I tried to take control of it and I wanted it so badly and it dictated me in a really destructive way. And with triathlon, I just thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna honor God with this, and it has exceeded my wildest dreams. I, you know, it's just, it's liberated me to just be exactly the person and the athlete that I wanted to be. It's freed me up in so many ways. The stories I could tell you about how it's helped me in my races and deal with the pressure. So I, I've learned I can trust God with this, and I can, and in the same way as I can trust God with this, I can trust God with all the areas of my life. And I'm still learning. The journey still goes on, but it's, uh, I just wouldn't trade it for anything. Oh, look, I've got to ask you one more thing. Do you know if you'd moved into a house with somebody who was a, a chess player, do you think you'd have ended up as a grandmaster? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I'm rugby. Too All right, rugby. <laughs> rugby. If you'd have moved into a rugby house and you were going training that night, would you have been saying to yourself, right, look out, rugby. Here I come. I tell you what, I'd have been on the fastest swinger ever. <laughs> you just wouldn't have touched me. I'd have had to run so fast. I definitely think that's just how, you know, if I set my mind on something and it's sport and I just have this this passion and desire to do it, that I would have that I would have achieved what I wanted to in it, yeah. So good thing it was triathlon and not rugby because uh, I think I'd hurt a bit more than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Paris Edwards. Top draw. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for being a guest on the Christian Sport Podcast. Such a pleasure. Thanks, Dano. Poor. What a woman. Paris Edwards. I don't know what grabbed your attention. I'll tell you what grabbed mine all the way through. You've just got this person who has got incredible drive for excellence, can cut it at top level in two sports and probably whatever she'd have chosen. And yet, what about that moment when she says towards the end, at the pinnacle, really, real maturity as an athlete and as a Christian, where she says, I could stand for 15 minutes on that start line, waiting for a race to start, television cameras in your face, people crying around me with stress for their sponsors and their performance, the water in front of you, all choppy, that you're going to have to dive into. And as I stand there, though I really want to win, all I know is I have freedom because God loves me and he's given me this skill and that's where my core identity lies. What a story, Paris Edwards. What a privilege to be a Christian in the world of sport. Hey, a couple of things worth saying before we go. Firstly, if you've really enjoyed this podcast and the others, do pass it on to a mate, won't you? I mean, we do it so that people can gain from the content of this interview. So pass it on. Second, if there's anything we can do to help you think about 
your sport being integrated with the Christian faith, just go to christiansinsport.org.uk. Everything you need is there. Have a great one. See you next time. 